That's why we're here, Psalm 42. Please. And um, I'm just going to pray for us in a minute. But before I do that, I want us to do something a little bit different, um, just to keep you on your toes. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 42 and 43. At verse 5, at Psalm 42, I'd like the congregation to stand and say aloud verse 5. Are we clear? Psalm 42, verse 5. Then you can sit. Then I'll speak again. Then I'd like you to stand at um, verse 11 of Psalm 42 and say it out loud then sit then I'd like you to stand at verse 5 of Psalm 43 and say it aloud and then sit are we clear? so I'll say it again one more time in case you're not Psalm 43 listen when you see, if you're confused when anybody else rises just get with them Psalm 42 verse 5 we'll all stand and you will, the congregation will say the verse okay clear? Verse 11 of that same psalm will stand, we'll say the verse. Verse 5 of Psalm 43 will stand, we'll say the verse. If you get stuck, I'll help you. And you don't get into trouble for making a mistake, all right? But let's just bow our heads and give this time to the Lord. This is God's words. This is God's very words. This is the word of God, which we learned this morning that we should honor. God honors his own word, and we do well to respect it and to fear him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for um, your word to us, Lord, this evening. We thank you that you have not left us alone, not left us uh, grasping for answers, hopeless, but you've given us light, as we learned this morning, a lamp, Lord, to lead us and to guide us. Give us understanding, Father. We, pr- uh, we pray clear our minds of uh, any distractions. Uh, this evening. Help us to come with an open spirit, Father, a learning spirit. Help us to hear what you have to say to us, Lord, and help us to put into action that which you have for us this evening, not for our own sakes, not for anybody else's sake, but for the honor of your great and perfect name. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the the festive uh, throng. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mitzah. Deep calls to deep in the roars of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my uh, my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? (laughs) 
Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you You know, sometimes life doesn't turn out quite the way we planned it, does it? A failed career, perhaps. Perhaps you started off in university or college or something, you thought, I'm going to go this way. It's not worked out for you. Or you started on a career path, and that hasn't worked out for you, and you've had to go another way. Maybe it's a failed relationship. You put all your hope in a person. You love them. You thought, this is it, this is the one, this is, it's going to happen. And for some reason, it crumbles away, it fails. They move on, you move on. The pain of separation. Sometimes it's death, hits you unexpectedly. One day you're just walking, breathing almost through life, and bang, out of the balloon. Somebody you know or love, or someone you know who loves, is hit by death, by an accident, by an illness. Perhaps we suffer, suffer a, a, a betrayal of trust in a relationship with someone. Now, there are an infinite number of reasons why life can get us down sometimes. And it is true, I was thinking about this, some people, they, at least they appear to breeze through life without a care in the world. And I wonder if those people are real or some sort of robotic plants or something. But let me guarantee you something. I'm almost certain of this, but I think all of us at some point in our life, at one time or another, will come up with some difficulty or trial or tribulation that will test us to the very limit of what we think we can endure. And that's when life can be hard, can be brutal, and can be unforgiving. That's when we need friends. That's when we need family. That's when we need the comfort and hope and promises held out to us in the Word of God. I'm not a musician. I have no musical uh, ability. Donald will probably get me afterwards. I don't know when the blues was invented, blues music. But let me tell you, we've just done the blues together just now. What we have here is one of the original blues songs ever written. So don't tell me the Bible's not cool. <laughs> Every time you stood, you were singing the chorus. Very beautifully crafted and strong. I'm a boy with the structure of Hebrew grammar. But very beautiful, structured piece of prose this is. King David is singing the blues. 
as he works his way through a dark period in his, in his tumultuous life. And sometimes we all go through what has been called or is known as the dark night of the soul. Many great women and men in history have suffered. Wesley suffered terrible depression. Charles Spurgeon crippled by severe bouts of depression. Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, King David, all have suffered such. And this song here, these two psalms together, are here to help us, I believe, to aid us as we seek to live for the glory of God through the trials and tribulations of our lives. It's interesting as you look at the beginning of, uh, depending on what version of the Bible you've got, the NIV, the beginning of Psalm 42 says, for the director of music, a masquil of the sons of Korah. Who are these guys? Well, we read, only read about them once in the Bible. That's in 2 Chronicles 20 in verse 19. And it tells us there that they were, they were a sort of precursor to worship leaders, if you like. Very nebulous biblical proof text for that, but we'll go with it. Um, but the point is this. This was a psalm used in some form of corporate worship to encourage, to teach, and to admonish the people of God. It's hard to know what the word masculine means. It means contemplation. It means to make wise. It means to instruct. So what we have before us is a song that is wisely constructed and suitable for corporate teaching. So what's going on? What's his problem? Verse 1 and verse 2 is very clear. He is thirsting after an experience of God. He's desperate for it, in fact. The intimation is that he's not been connecting with God or his people for quite some time. And many people believe that King David actually wrote this during his time of exile when he was banned from Jerusalem and he couldn't worship in the holy places. And I think that makes sense. I'm not going to stake my life on that, but I think that that makes sense. The language is very symbolic. It would have had great meaning to the Jewish audience of his time. Jesus tapped into this same sort of thirsting of the soul in Matthew 5, verse 6, in John chapter 7, verse 37. This is a guy, this is a person desperate for a connection, desperate for some sort of spiritual fulfillment with God. In verse 3, he says, look, we see he's extremely upset. These enemies want to know where his God is in his distress. End of verse 3, where is your God in all of this? Again, look at verse 10. Where is your God? Where is he? He's looking for vindication, isn't he, in chapter 1. Sorry, in verse 1 of chapter 43. He's complaining against the oppression of his enemies. And how true that can be for us today. Where is God? Funny, in a conversation I was just having with Rodney before we came out, I won't divulge the nature of the conversation, but he was saying, talking to someone who was basically taunting someone, seriously ill, and saying, where's God in this? Hey, what's he done, what's Jesus done for you now, mate? What good's your faith now? It's always a question. The thing is, we're we're always surrounded by problems of one sort, are we not? 
We've got family crises. We've got health crises. We've got financial worries. We've got relational issues. We've got marital difficulties. We've got pressures of time. We've got the fast-paced nature of modern life. It leads to anxiety, to fatigue, to guilt, to shame, to tension, to anger, to frustration, to sadness, to depression. It's all around us. Sometimes we can feel like it's all just a bit too much for us. Just make it stop, press, pause. Just give me, a, give me a minute to get my head together, to work it through. We can feel hemmed in on all sides, suffocated under the weight of our problems and our fears. This guy is feeling this stuff. Don't tell me the Bible's not relevant to modern life. This guy is there telling us. His soul, he said, is cast down. Four times he asks himself why he is so downcast. Why he's in despair. Verse 5, verse 6, verse 11, uh, chapter 43, verse 5. His soul is literally groaning, he says, within him. Why have you forgotten me? He wonders in verse 9. Why have you cast me off, he says, in verse 2 of, of chapter 43. This is a guy pouring out his soul. Such is the depth of his anguish. He's drained by the whole experience. He feels like the waves and the billows of the deep are engulfing him, he says in verse 7. People are mocking him, his faith. They're mocking him in his faith. He's beginning to wonder if they're right. Has God forgotten me? So this is a guy in big trouble, big trouble spiritually. He describes his torment in verse 10 like the breaking of his bones or a deadly wound. And how many of us feel like that at times? How many of us feel beaten down by life? Maybe one of those breezy people who just breezes through life. I breeze. I'm a breezer, by the way. I wander through life. I just run. If there's a wall, I just run through it. But then usually I run into a big steel thing and I bounce into it and hit, hit my head and I'm sat on the floor. We all deal with life differently. But how many of us get like this sometimes? Stressed out, wondering what to do, where to go. Thinking the thoughts and feeling guilty. I'm a Christian. Maybe I shouldn't think this stuff. Do you know what I mean? I've got to put on a good show on Sunday. Get the old tie on and that and look the biz. No, I'm an elder of Charlotte Chapel. I don't suffer. What are we to do in these situations? What should we do when life gets a bit too much for us? And I think that he can help us here, offer us some pointers. How does he respond to his inner battle? It's interesting again, Rodney. Stealing all my thunder today, by the way. But it's good job you're doing it in private praying about talking to yourself and it's yeah, he, but he does he talks to himself here he's continually talking to himself throughout this psalm if you notice he's chiding himself he's talking to his own soul I like to call it getting a grip of yourself and it's a good piece of advice 
talk to yourself. The Bible instructs us. That's the golden rule in the fight against spiritual depression. Anybody read the book, Martin Lloyd-Jones' book on spiritual depression? Show your hands. Three people. Right, Martin Lloyd-Jones, spiritual depression. Go out and get yourself a copy. I'm honestly... It's absolutely outstanding that this book, a brilliant book. And he says this, Have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Somebody's talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you now this man's treatment is this instead of allowing himself this, this self to talk to him he starts talking to himself the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself you have to take yourself in hand you have to address yourself you have to preach to yourself you have to question yourself you must say to your soul why art thou cast down what business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself. You must upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, Hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Now, I think that's pretty cool. I think they're fantastic words of wisdom for our day and age. And that is exactly what the psalmist is seeking to do here. He wants to know why as well, doesn't he? Not only talks to himself, he's con continually asking why. He asked the why question nine times in this psalm. Why is this happening to me? Let me be clear about something, right? There's nothing wrong with that. I like the why question. I like it when people come up to me and say, do you know what, Mez? My life absolutely sucks. The big one. I am struggling. I haven't read my Bible for a month and I can't be bothered with church. I think it's all rubbish and my faith is in the gutter. I love that stuff. See, it's better than the, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. Why, he says. What's going on? It appears at ground level that God has forgotten him to such an extent that even now other people are saying the same to him. Where's your God now? Left you, has he? Forgotten you, has he? What good is your faith now? There's nothing wrong with why. Turn back if you, a few pages in your Bible to Job chapter 3, verse 11. And Job is getting kicked around at this point, all right? I mean, he's getting a whooping. His life's in tatters. Let's see how happy he is about that in verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Verse 16. Oh, why was I not hidden in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? Verse 20. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? Not exactly the happiest chap you want at your birthday party, is he? The point is this, it is a legitimate question. But let me be clear. It is a legitimate question as long as it is at, 
as long as it is the starting point and not the conclusion. And that's the issue at hand. As long as we progress, as we're going to see the psalmist do from this position, I don't really have a problem. You know, children cry to get our attention, don't they? And we give it, we give it to them, don't we? We respond to them. We try to alleviate their suffering. We try to ease whatever is causing them discomfort or to help them learn a lesson through it. How much more so does our Heavenly Father respond to us as His children when we cry out to Him in our frustration and anguish? Do we believe that? Or is that just some words that pastry blokes say? You know. Do we believe that that's how God sees us? That He loves us? That He wants what's best for us? That He wants to respond to us in loving kindness? Psalm 34, verse 19. first part of this psalm is interesting. A righteous man may have many troubles. That's a true fact, isn't it? We all agree with that? But it's the second part of the psalm, the verse that interests me. But the Lord delivers him from them all. It's the second part we need to cling on to. That's what we must hope for, even in our darkest moments. God will come to our aid. And look at this word, hope. It's the key word here for the psalmist. Hope is the chorus you repeated to me when you stood up to read. Verse 5, verse 11, and verse 5 again. The word hope is there. He hopes in God despite his emotional state. Notice the yet in all those three verses. But you're hoping God, for I will praise him, my saviour, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Despite his condition, he holds out hope that this is only a temporary darkness and that his anguish will cease and he will yet come and praise his gods. We must hope, whatever our condition here this evening, the the Lord promises that all who hope in him will never be put to shame. Whatever trials we go through now are only temporary. And listen, I don't want that to sound like some sort of cheesy platitude. See, it drives me potty too. I'm not, you know, I'm not decrying your suffering, your pain, your anguish. Man, it's a war out there. But we need to hope in Jesus. I don't know how long. I, I, you know, I wish I could take it all off you and put it in a jar and put it under the pulpit here. We could all go home tonight and have a good kip. But it isn't like that, is it? We just have to hope and trust in the faithfulness and love of our God. Hope in Jesus, who has secured for us eternal salvation. Whatever else life robs from us, it cannot take that. Hold on to that. Hold on to Jesus for dear life. You know, sometimes hoping God is all we've got to say. There is nothing else. I don't have fancy words for you. I don't have eloquence for you, perhaps. All I've got is Jesus, the hope of the world. There's no other. I don't know how people can suffer without Jesus. 
I don't know where their hope is. I don't know how they can make sense of it all. There is nothing else, the Bible says. Sometimes our suffering is just so pointless and awful and terrible and just seems so meaningless. And yet we must hope in him, the psalmist says. We must hope in him because life is exactly like these two psalms. A constant ebb of flow of praise and high and low and hope and despair but Jesus Jesus is the center Jesus is the anchor Jesus is who we cling to come what may in verse 4 he says this these things I remember in Psalm 42 as I pour out my soul how I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God he remembers the happy days, leading God's people to worship. Even in his state, he remembers how things used to be for him, when God was close to him, when worship was full and joyful and meaningful. And the psalmist often used this as a ploy. Further on, if you look at Psalm 77, Psalm 77 verse 11 says this, I will meditate on all your works. I will consider all your mighty deeds, your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great? As our God. Corporate worship, meeting together, it's fundamental in the life of a church family. In our darkest moments, our inclination is to run, is to hide, and is to try and get on with the job on our own. Now, I sat with three guys this week. Um, great guys, lovely guys, all alcoholics. And um, I'm going to chat with them today got round to Jesus, as you usually do, <laughs> and um, turns out they'd all made a profession of faith. None of them had been to church for years because they just gave up. They gave up on the church. Something happened, some crisis, and what happened was they just stopped going. It turned into an excuse. It turned into a habit, and all of a sudden, years have passed by. Because in our darkest moments, our inclination is to run and hide, and that is a dangerous ploy by the devil and you must fight him at every point. Fight it. Share it. Pray about it. Um, you know, I, I, I've, had a couple, I've had a tough couple of weeks. Um, I was ready to pit the road last week. Not sure I'm allowed to say this, but I'm saying it. And um, just stress, you know. This stuff to me is hitting home for myself. But Rodney sat in a car with me and sat with me for two hours and just talked to me, you know. He was doing my head in, like, but, you know, and he was just saying stuff and that, and I didn't want to hear it, I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to just go home, and bang, 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 talking, 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 thinking, 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 I got out of the car, and I mean, I've been sleeping, hardly anything, I slept better that night than I'd slept for, for months, just listening to someone, talking about it, thinking about it, praying about it, and moving it on. When we're in trouble, he wants to isolate you. That is the danger. They don't understand. They'll never understand. They'll think I'm weird. They'll think, oh, I just feel guilty. I've done this. I've done that. Don't get isolated from the family of God. It's an absolute number one killer in Christian circles. 
This guy looks back in verse 6 to that time of fellowship with God's people. It encourages him. It encourages it that God does not change. That God was faithful, the same God who was faithful to him in the past is faithful now and will be faithful to him in the future. Remembers the love of God. Look at him, verse 8. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Paul challenges in Romans 5 that when the going gets tough, that suffering produces in us perseverance. Whatever our understanding in our present situation or our lack of it, we must remind ourselves of two facts. Number one, God loves us. Jesus is proof enough of that, is he not? And secondly, God is in control. You know, many people ask me the question, one of the questions I get in my testimony about the abuse in my early life, you know, growing up in care, etc., and uh, the loss of my two children, and they say to me, you know, did God cause that or allow it? It's a good question, isn't it? Or was it the devil? Do you know what the answer is? Got a clue. I know God didn't cause it. That's one fact I know. But I know this trials come for our benefit, however catastrophic they appear to be. I don't dwell on past problems that cannot be fully resolved. I'm not saying I'm perfect because sometimes I do. I'm giving you a hint. <laughs> but I do try and remember the times when God's been real to me when the times of fellowship with God's people have been real to me. You know, remembering God's, remembering and looking back to the cross of Jesus, they're helpful tools for us when we think we're going to pack it in, when we think we're going to be isolated by the enemy, that no one understands us. Look to Jesus, look to God, look to his people. Search them out. And he turns his back. He turns. He returns back to his God in this psalm. I like the, the way it flows. Psalm thirty forty three. Well, Psalm forty two is a bit of a moan. Psalm forty three is a bit of his, his vindication, if you like. His great plea. He looks to God. He cries to him in his distress. He doesn't look to God to feel better. By the way, I like this psalm. <laughs> he looks to know God more deeply. Tears for my food, he says. Frustrated, plain, fed up with it all. Wondering when the storm clouds are going to lift. Wondering when God is going to burst through and make a difference. And in Psalm 43, we read the word countenance several times. What does that mean? It means to lift your face. It means... That God is the one who bends down from heaven and he reaches out to comfort us. And how does he do that? Well, he does it with a word in season. He does it with the Bible. He does it with the help of family. He does it with the help of friends. He does it with prayers, with support. He does it in a church meeting. He does it in a car park. He does it in a park car. He does it wherever you want, where God's people meet together. That's where God reaches out to us in our distress, in our pain. Let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with struggling. Um, 
I'm not sort of, you know, any official leadership of this church, but I'll make this statement anyway. Strugglers are welcome here. Skeptics are welcome here. Doubters are welcome here. This is where you should be. You shouldn't be anywhere else. This is the place to come and to get prayer. Are you struggling? Are you anxious? Are you suffering? Are you isolated? Speak to somebody tonight. Don't do this stuff on your own. We can't do this stuff on our own. We really can't. Get somebody to sit with you. Get somebody to pray for you if you can't do it for yourself. Read Psalm 55, Psalm 58, Psalm 59, Psalm 143, Psalm 145. (laughs) Read a psalm if you can't pray for yourself. Keep your focus. I'm going to end with this. He asks an interesting point in Psalm 42, verse 2. The NIV says, when can I go and meet with God? It's not a great translation. Literally, when can I come and see God face to face, he says. Well, Jesus answers that question for him in John 14, verse 9. And he says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Paul was very specific to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. He says, that Jesus is the very image of God. When we see Jesus, we see the face of God. When we search after Jesus, we search after God himself, the Bible teaches us. Jesus experienced this psalm and more in all its terror, all its pain, all its suffering. He suffered unimaginably when he died for sinners on the cross. I don't have the words. I'm not eloquent enough a speaker. I don't have the depth of emotion to express the horror of what he went through for sinners. He was separated from his heavenly father in his death when he was forsaken and bore God's full wrath for our sins. Our saviour, Our Jesus knows this stuff intimately. My God, he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? A Christian never has nowhere to turn. When all else fails, we have Jesus. A guy came to see me this week, big bruiser of a guy, actually, out of prison for murder or whatever. He was looking for some great answers to life. I said, I've got nothing for you but Jesus, mate. Sorry. We had a long talk, obviously. I don't just send him away like that. (laughs) But at the end of the day, that's all. Because that's enough. There is nothing else. There is no other hope. There is no other reason. There's only Jesus. Those without Jesus in this building and outside of it are the ones who truly have no hope.
they will suffer and they will die and they will face the final judgment so you see humanity's greatest need is not happiness it's not freedom from sickness and pain it's not freedom from suffering and worry our deepest need is God himself it's to have our sins forgiven because he is the only one who can quench that spiritual thirst with Jesus, uh, within us he's the only true source of hope Jesus is the only way we beat the blues just so I can get the title of my sermon in just it's a good exegetical model there he's the one we should be desperately scrabbling towards this side of the of, of, of the cross we have Jesus to look to and we have the gospel to preach to ourselves may God help us please don't leave struggling tonight I don't know what the practice is here but please you want to come forward and, and have prayer at the end or something and, and make yourself known to um, Rodney and, and, and the elders do not think anything insignificant come and get prayer be encouraged help us to help you to strengthen you to strengthen one another in Jesus let's just bow our heads Father we just throw ourselves upon you once again we thank you for the cross we thank you that we have grace and mercy and love and hope that we have a saviour his name is Jesus there is no other way there is no other way by which any of us may be saved there is no other name we must bow the knee we must Father we thank you that whilst we were still sinners he died for us he gave his life for us he suffered for us and Father help us if there are any here this evening who are suffering who are struggling who are straining who are anxious worried about life oh Lord by your spirit would you just calm them would you minister to them even now Lord in their souls in their spirits are those who have no understanding at all of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ I pray in your mercy Lord you would lift the veil from their eyes they would see the truth of the wonder of the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ there is no other Father help us be beacons of hope help us Lord be real to pray encourage one another build one another up all the more as that day approaches Father help us live live for you love for you, serve you, Father, with every breath that we take to be part of our being. Lord, if we can give thanks for nothing else this evening, we give you thanks for our great salvation and our wonderful Saviour. Amen.